Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift in Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I'm the writer for the comic Kadoja. And I also write some reviews and things on my blog, KeithRFoster.com, which has links to articles that I've written for iHorror.com. And this is our special 25th episode of Making Comics. Can you guys believe it? It's crazy. Like, like seriously, 25. It's gone that fast. I mean, look, that's half a damn year. We've been doing this half a year because I do think we have... No, no, no. We we do have a weekly episode. So we're basically at the half year mark, which is pretty kick-ass. Dude, it's, it's freaking crazy. Yeah, I mean, I remember where I was standing. I was standing outside a 99 Ranch... You know, let's go with, uh, if not six months ago, probably seven, seven months ago when we had our conversation where we were talking about this idea and uh, it started off somewhere in a very different place than where it ended up. But I like where it ended up and, you know, we continue to kind of evolve and change and uh, find new ways to to drink and talk while we're drinking, which is amazing. Yeah, man. And it, yeah, it's crazy because the initial idea was we were going to take turns, the, the much like you did on vinyl exam, where it was like one episode for you, one episode for your partner, and then one together. We were thinking of using that format. Yeah. But uh, honestly, I, I love our yeah. conversations so much that it just, they just flow so well. It's like, why break it up? If, if, if we can help it, let's just do every podcast together and just have a conversation about what we do. And, and I'm loving it, exactly. man. I'm, I'm not getting exactly. tired at all. Let's let's try a quick estimate here. Let's try a quick estimate here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I, we don't even answer this question. I'll probably edit it out anyway. Okay. How much money have we spent simply hanging together for this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Just hanging don't edit together. that out. Don't edit yeah. that out. I want to say a thousand dollars between us. Between us. Between us. Yes. No, there's no because... way it's that high. There's no way okay. it's that high. Well, we for sure spent a hundred at Spiro's Heroes, so that's one. We combined for a hundred at Spiro's Heroes. Yes. Okay. We combined for a hundred. Um, we've bought beer every single time we've bought oh you're food. counting beer fuck you're yeah counting beer. you said okay. spent money man yeah not just yeah, on yeah. comedy and then and then for <laughs> sure i've seen your total when we've been at socal a couple of times like i think one of them was 75 one was 50 because you had a gift card yeah. right yeah i spent 75 yes. when you spent 50 so yeah. we have to be at a thousand dollars Okay, so if you add up my comics, that's 75, 50, 125, about 175 worth of comics just from the times we hung out. Which, by the way, oh, this is a great, I, I, I want to go in a tangent, but I will hold it for another episode. Did you buy stuff uh, at Book Off? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's Book Off too. There's, I mean, so mm-hmm. the hard part is drawing the line on, like, my question was, how much have we spent just the times we're hanging out? If you add the influences we've had on each other's spending. Yeah. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. Because, yeah, because your entire you're ice cream man. When I'm not there. Yeah. Yes. yes. Ice cream man. <laughs> your entire ice cream man run is because we talked. You're, you know, I think most of your something is killing the children is because we talked about it. And then you add all the mm-hmm. influences that you've had on me. Like, you know, yeah, sure. I'll buy this Bilson Kevich art book. I wasn't thinking much about it before, but you know, there it is. Without this podcast, You're, I do not oh, own this dude. book. Oh, hell yeah. That's awesome. You expanded a pull list that was one or two books that you were looking for, and now it's way more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And But, you know, what's interesting, too, is, to me, is that comics have really become my my primary 
spending. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't buy records. I don't buy books at the moment. And a lot of that really is a function of this podcast. And the fact that like, I think, you know, not just us, but you know, we have chats with Gary, you you know, we have all the people we talk to and, um, and, you know, I, I talk with listeners like Brian Clark and people like that. And all this stuff just kind of informs the yeah. next thing you might buy, you know, what and beer, so, yeah, yeah what wait, beer you're, you're drinking. You're like, I got this cookie dough beer from Trader Joe's that what did I do? I called Trader Joe's to see if they had it. I went and I bought it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's okay. So if you like add, that, if man. you add it up, yeah, if you add it up like that, for sure, for sure. I think I've almost spent a thousand now that you pointed out the ice cream man thing and the something is yeah. killing the children. I think I'm close to a thousand by myself. It, it's tough to see where you draw the line with stuff like this. You know, I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could. But uh, but anyway, so it's pretty interesting. And, you know, we're, we're only 25 episodes in. You and I made the the kind of informal agreement that we would just see where this goes. You know, maybe this is the kind of podcast that was only destined for 20 episodes, but we're, we, I feel like we haven't even really hit our stride yet. And we're still kind of rolling along and, you know, we, I, I feel fresh. We're still having a good time. So we're just going to keep on rolling with it for a while. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and stuff just comes up, you know, whatever you're talking about with your other comic creator friends or, or people that, you know, any kind of creatives, like new stuff comes up. And, and this episode is actually proof perfect of that because the second half of this episode is going to be revolving around a conversation I had with some creators in a chat. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, exactly. It, it all, everything kind of feeds everything, you know, so word up. Yeah, man. Awesome, dude. All right. So let's, let's uh, get started with the week, dude. What'd you do? Let me just say what I'm drinking because I I got this in the mail about five days ago and I said, Keith, you're going to save this for recording making comics. It is a beer called Kickin' Knowledge Milkshake IPA. Get ready. It is an India Pale Ale brewed with vanilla, coconut, lactose, sea salt, and caramel. So this is a sea salt caramel IPA. Ooh. I know, I know. And uh, let me see that. Let me see that can. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know where the hell this brewery's from. Remember, this is from my beer club. Um, so it's kicking, kicking now. I think, okay. I think, I think the design's not so great. But let me see where they're from here. Uh, oh, Oceanside, New York. So East Coast represent. This week, um, I, I did a couple things, and and they were, I think they were larger things. So the first thing I did was I had mentioned last week. I think that three protectors. I had sent what I thought was the final copy to Mike two months ago. And I was like, hey, Mike, have you read it yet? And then finally, last week, he said, it looks real similar to the one you sent me before. Are you sure you've uploaded the new one? So I checked the Google Drive and damn it, I hadn't. So <laughs> I, I went back and checked, you know, confirmed to get the right version there. But before sending him the right version, why not do one more edit? So this is also part of this edit. So this is actually the seventh version of Three Protectors because I decided to number them to make them easy. So the changes from version six to version seven, some of which I just made in the last week, were um, the, ma- the major things were I fixed some dialogue. Um, there are spots, I think I've mentioned this before, where you kind of go back and you realize that you say something twice, albeit in slightly different ways, maybe a page away from each other. In some cases, you might have different characters say the same thing, but they kind of hit the the overall mark a little too on the nose. 
And so what I did was I, I removed some of those things that are either complete duplicates or like stylistic duplicates or plot duplicates or those kind of things. So that was the first thing I did. Then the, the second thing I did was I did a pass and asked myself, how clear is everything? Like, do we, do we know who everybody is? Do we know where the action is, et cetera? And um, I, I basically give myself like a B plus on that one. There was one particular scene where I changed location. So the fixes were simply adding some text boxes uh, at the beginning of a couple little segments there to let people know where specifically we are. And, and then the, the final thing I did, which was not part of something I did this last week, but I wanted to talk about as part of this revision, is uh, Three Protectors has a lot of action. And for a while, it had a lot of silent pages. And I have a concern with silent pages for one reason that may be weird, it may be Keith, and it may not be weird. I don't know. But it's normal sounding to me. And that is, I don't like when pages read too fast. If you have nothing but action, like for those of you out there, next time you read a comic that has a page of all action, make a note of how long it takes you to read it. Odds are it's going to be one to four seconds. You know, you're going to open it and you're just going to go zip, 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 zip. And then you're going to be done with the page because there was nothing to slow you down. You just absorbed all the action and kept moving. Yeah, I agree with that for the most part. I will say, though, it's also dependent on the artist. Like overall, you're correct. Um, but if you have an artist like Jeff Darrow, for instance, someone who has tons of detail, you might take your time a little bit more because you see that he's taken the time to draw as much action as possible in, in these panels. So you might look through and see if there's any like, I don't know, like Easter eggs or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, overall, I agree. They move pretty quick. That makes that makes sense. It also makes sense given the context of you being an artist and me being a writer. Because if I'm caught involved in a plot that I really like, I probably just want to get to the plot. And I've mentioned before that I read comics in uh, in two passes generally. I'll do the first one where it's kind of the, you know, I want to get through the story, I want to get through the story. And then if it earns it, then there's this second pass where I really dial into the art and look at all that stuff. But I do agree that if you're going to have somebody like a Jeff Darrow that's uh, that you know is putting so much detail in there, then yes, you would slow down a little bit. But no matter what your speed, it's going to be a pretty fast pace. So what I did with some of the action sequences was I just put in a, uh, a fair amount, maybe a little bit, just enough to keep you on the page for two, three, four times as long, maybe five, is just uh, some interiority, right? Have have what the people are thinking and uh, and really slow down that action so that people can focus on the panels. You know, Three Protectors is using a lot of art that's quite aged, and that's been the struggle in rewriting it. It's the kind of thing that when the art is static and it can't change because I'm not going to consult the artist, then it's really an exercise in, in rewriting. So I have a lot of pages from Rory Smith, and I have some pages from Mark Nosler that are going to be part of this. But uh, but what you know, you want to focus on that great art and, and have it slow down. So I like to think that I was successful in slowing it down. Version seven is in Mike's hands now, and we will see where that goes. I'm, I'm optimistic that this is the final version or extremely, extremely close, because no matter how many times you scan for typos, you seem to miss some. We will see. But uh, but yeah, man, that was my first thing. So how about you? Well, I'll do two of them because one's super, super fast. Uh, the last thing I left hanging on the previous episode was I had some t-shirt designs that I had to get done. 
and uh, those are complete. Those are finished. Nothing, nothing is on the list. So this is the first time, I think, in the entirety of this podcast where I don't have freelance work pending. So super happy about that. The main thing, or one of the main things that I did this week was I met with my buddy, uh, Michael Mondragon. He's a graphic designer. He's been doing graphic design for 30 years. So tons of experience. Um, back in our wrestling days, he wrestled as Disco Machine. It's so funny because a lot of my collaborators, they're ex-wrestlers. So Ed is, you know, he wrestled as Mr. Excitement. Um, and then Mike, he was a Disco Machine. So, but even back then, he was doing all of the graphic design for our company, Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Uh, the flyers, the uh, video, um, all of that stuff. Like him and uh, one other guy, uh, Mark Excalibur, they were they were working on that stuff. So um, I tapped him uh, for the graph or the hardcover, and I just wanted to get a different perspective. You know, instead of it always being my vision of what the book should look like, I'm curious what he will bring to the table. Like as a graphic designer, he's going to bring something different than than I'm envisioning. And um, I gave him a couple of things that I was thinking about with the hardcover, uh, mainly the content, like how I want it arranged. And so I sent him examples of a few hardcovers that already exist uh, from other creators that I really like. And, you know, like uh, the Danger Girl hardcover by J. Scott Campbell. Uh, J. Scott Campbell, I believe he has a graphic design degree, like he has a or at least a background in it. And so he has a hand in basically all of the Danger Girl stuff, like all the all the the way it's uh, put together. And so I really like the a lot of elements of that book. And so I sent him his way. And like unconsciously, like there was a lot of stuff that he had done in that book that I already had in my head that I wanted to do. Like for instance, instead of having the covers for each issue uh, in the hardcover, I'm going to have chapter breaks. And then I'm going to use those covers as a cover gallery in the back. So, and that's something mm -hmm. he had already done in the hardcover. So, um, I had sent over Mike some stuff and, and we just kind of brainstormed and he kind of laid things out, like how we were going to break it down and how we we're going to proceed. So, uh, it's just such a different process, but I'm, I'm really excited to see, uh, what we come up with as this goes along. Cool. So my one question based on that is you mentioned that there are things that you, wanted that were in the it was the danger girl right is that what you said mm -hmm. that were in the danger girl girl hardcover did did the danger girl hardcover influence that like was was danger girl hardcover had you read that years ago and it may have been baked into your brain or was it more happenstance where the things that you wanted were coincidentally in danger girl i guess the question is did danger girl as a hardcover influence any of your thinking either with you knowing it or without uh, it did with certain things but not the hard or not the cover gallery so i was watching this one youtube channel and the guy reviews uh, graphic novels and so he was reviewing i believe it was the house of x and powers of 10 the hawks pox uh crossover that the x-men had not too long ago and and so he was reviewing that and they had a cover gallery in there and i, I thought that was pretty cool because they had so many different alternate covers. It was just like a nice little spectacle in the back of the book. So mm. um, I actually took it from there and I was like, that's a great idea, but what am I going to do in between, uh, you know, issues? And I don't think there, I, I don't think they had chapter breaks, but so um, I had already thought of that. I just didn't know what it was going to look like. Like, was I going to do, you know, like 
black and white pencil versions of the covers? Was I going to draw something completely different? And, um, you know, I'm still, I, I have an idea and I, I don't want to give everything away. Like I want people to check the book out and, uh, you know, when in a year's time, basically when the Kickstarter comes out for the hardcover, um, people will see what, what I do end up coming up with, but I just don't want to put it out there and then other people start doing it. And before I get mine out, they get it out and you know, whatever. I'm like, I'm so small time that, you know, even if they did jack me for it, no one even know. So, okay. So I am going to, I am going to talk a little bit about that because as someone who is small time, I still get nervous. And the reason I get nervous is because if something comes out after you, and it's out, and then someone discovers you, they think you copied it. You know, like, I, mm -hmm. you may have sat next to me for some conventions where, you know, Kadoja was a fully formed comic in 2012. In fact, I just, on my Instagram, I just posted a neat little photo from uh, the first show we ever did. It was me, Rory Smith, and uh, and Scheme Richards. And, uh, and we were just sitting there chilling at the booth and talking, and someone else, obviously, took the photo. But, you know... June 2012. And uh, I remember that I got on, you know, a, a bunch of people come to your table and, you know, they're, oh, I blog on comics. I do this. I do that. Any any interest in, you know, giving me a copy to read? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, especially since uh, as as a indie uh, person, when you get comics shipped to you, you're, you're going to get some damages. So generally damages are the free domain of people that, you know, want to review books and stuff like that. And I, or I can give them away for other reasons. So I remember giving away a lot of books. And as a result, I ended up following all of these blogs. So I, I would just check and, you know, cause you never know when people are going to let you know if they even talk about your book. And uh, I remember three months after wizard world, maybe a little bit less after that first show, there was a post on, on the movie Pacific Rim, the first one. And I was just like, Oh my God, I hope this is not so similar to my book that people think that my book ripped, you know, lifted from it. And luckily it wasn't. That is still something that I sort of live in a, in a certain kind of creator terror. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was you, but I believe it was you. We were, we were doing a convention next to each other and, um, someone came by and they were asking tons of questions about the book and just like, they wanted to know more and more and more. And um, when they left, you said, hey, watch out for people like that. Uh, people go through Artist Alley and Small Press, and they find out what other people's books are about, and they basically lift all of the good stuff. So they'll they'll basically steal from people, you know? And so like you're saying, it's like, well, I don't know if these people stole from me and made a movie, you know? So um, I can't remember if it was you. Was that you? Or Okay. Yeah, well, there's, so, there's no there's no possible way that Pacific Rim 1 could have been lifted from you know Kadoja because it, it's it's more of the you know I'm not I'm not concerned about someone lifting my idea because we've talked you know we've had conversations in different variants about this I keep my shit so vague good luck you know what I mean like there is there is a reason on this podcast that you you know people listening right now what's three protectors about you don't even know right same with animals what's it about it's because I haven't said it. What's my novel about? You know, I'm I'm tight-lipped about that, and I remember giving that some you know airtime before. In that, it part of it is you don't want to put it out there and possibly give somebody else the idea 
that's that's too similar. And part of it is just, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's sort of a creator terror, but coincidence is going to be coincidence. There's enough coincidence out there that's going to make create a lot of heartbreak for creators when it's all said and done. You know, something I find interesting on that note is when you look through previews, I think it was either last month or the month before, or even a combination of the two month, two months, lots of brand new comics about like rock bands, you know, and it's like, whatever it is, like Scout has one because I added it to my holds. And then there's, there was another one, a silver coins kind of a rock band thing, but that was only one issue. So a lot of this is coincidence, you know, but, but I love sick, love sick pilots. That's another book from yeah, image. Yeah. There's it's a rock band. Exactly. There's, there's just, you know, and it, it's the way it works, you know, and, and what generally happens, I think if I'm trying to explain this in a universal sort of way is people sit around, you know, people who even want to have a fresh new idea or something that hasn't been in the mainstream for a while, they ask themselves what's not in the marketplace right now. And then they make that thing. Unfortunately, there are other people that exist on the planet, too, and they're looking at the marketplace the same way, and publishers are doing it the same way. You know, like, Scout was probably thinking a couple months ago, like, yeah, yeah, Rock Band's cool. I don't see any Rock Band comics. Well, so was Image. So were some other publishers, and now you have a a fair amount of Rock Band comics that are coming out. So coincidence happens. I'm mortified of coincidence, um, and because I feel like, I control the other variable pretty well in terms of like, you know, the not putting out ideas out in the world. But I know you've said something like that too. You're tight lipped sometimes about ideas because it's just, we're protective about that. In a lot of ways, it's all we have. So those ideas mean a lot. And yeah, I, I, I'm, while I can't remember if it was me or not, it sure has the DNA of something I would say. It pretty, it, it feels, it felt like you, like yeah. when I was like, for sure that would, cause I remember, I just have a, a very clear image of you standing with your arms crossed and not because you're defensive, but it's because it's how you stand a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you looked over with, with that Keith look like, Hey, don't tell those motherfuckers anything. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's people like that, you know, and, and you had experienced one or two people like that in the past and you're just like. Like the way you said it, it just made me realize, oh, people are scumbags. Yeah. You know, it's just like there are those those scumbags out there that are just looking to steal ideas. Yeah. And even even if our book our books are already out, right? If if that guy has an in with someone from Image Comics or Marvel Comics or something, they can put that on on the front burner over there. Yeah. If they have a good relationship, they can get that picked up over there. And no matter if our book came out first or not, they can go Hey, mine's at Marvel. Yeah. Hey, mine's at Image Comics. Where are you guys at? Yeah. So yeah. Um, there was something like that on, uh, I, I think it's Raya, The Last Dragon. Is that it's Raya? Yeah, that's that, the name the of it. D- Disney movie that came out. So on the trailer, there was, uh, she has she has a pet that she rides. And it's like a giant, um, like armadillo, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she rides. But I was looking at it and I thought, I just like at a glance, I thought she was riding a giant roly poly because he does this thing in the trailer where he like speeds off in a ball, kind of like Blanca mm-hmm. and like bowling balls, a bunch of people. Well, my, I have a giant roly poly in Wanders of Melisanda that does that. Yeah. And I was like, I'm fucked. It doesn't matter that my book came out two years ago. 
because that's on TV and it's by Disney. I'm fucked. Yeah. You know, so if it, you know, and so I was like, I'm going to have to change this or I'm just going to not have that character do that anymore, yes. you know? And so there's all these things as an indie creator that you're at the mercy of what's popular. Yes. You know? Yes. And, and let's see, what was I going to say about that? That the, the, the irony of the kind of people like, like clearly this person was at my booth just asking a hundred questions. The irony is you could have just spent $4 on an issue <laughs> and then, and it's right there in front of you. You know what I mean? So anyway, and, and for all I know, that person was asking a lot of questions because they were asking a lot of questions. But yeah, I mean, there's a reason people are protective about ideas. And and again, I think in a lot of ways, this is sort of the 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 down in the weeds indie creators fear. Right. And, and again, for me, it's it's much less. It's a small fraction of someone actually stealing the idea because they they can steal the idea but they can't steal yours because no matter what they can't put your personality into something it goes back to one of those adages right there are no new ideas it's about putting your spin on it but that said if you have an idea where you feel like i don't know you know it's been it's been 30 years since there was a protagonist with a chainsaw arm that talked to parrots you know, if, if you really like that idea, then most likely you're going to be very protective of it because it hasn't been done. Well, ever. No, nobody with a chainsaw arm has ever talked to parrots. There's only been one chainsaw arm character as far as, as I can remember. So maybe that's a rich uh, territory to explore. But you're going to be protective about that because you don't want to put it out in the world if you can help it. At least me and you, I think we're both like that. We're both sort of paranoid on that. But what I really fear is just the coincidence. And I I've, I remember in 20, let's go with like Pacific Rim came out in 2013. So I remember in 2013, you know, there's people that walk by the table and they're like, oh, oh, good timing putting a book af- out, out after Pacific Rim. You know, like that kind of thing. And so I would politely correct them. I would politely correct look, them. Look, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Check check the indicia. Yeah, yeah. See when I printed this. Yeah, well, my, my exact answer is, you know, it's funny. A lot of people say that, but but my book actually came out in 2012, June 2012. And Pacific Rim came out in 2013. So enjoy. <laughs> that's, uh, it. that's it. That's uh, yeah. it. So I think that was your first thing, right? We were just riffing on your first yep. thing. Mm-hmm. Did you have a second thing? I have one one thing, and I have two other thing that's kind of craft stuff. One, I one it's just a reiteration, uh, a, a, a clarification of something I said on a previous episode. But I have two other things. Did you have more stuff? I have a second thing. Yeah, yeah. It might it might take a little okay, time. Okay, yeah, go yeah. go go with yours. It's it's. I almost want to nick. If if we were a fancy podcast that made like millions and and like Blue Apron sponsored us, then this would be Keith's Prose Corner. Because we're going to talk a little bit about the novel. Because, I mean, writing is writing, and I think this sort of stuff is helpful. You might need to co-opt it, you know, to to whatever you want to do with it. But I am in a rut at in in this fourth draft of the novel. As a refresher, I've just sent off my first hundred pages for review. I don't want to touch those first hundred pages. I do feel that the novel is getting closer and closer to completion. So I decided to do. I felt like sometimes you just need to switch it up a little bit. And instead of grinding away at the novel, just take a little step back and do some perspective. So the thing that's been bugging me about this novel is it's a it's a smaller version of a larger question, which is, is it good enough? Because in in many novels, almost every novel, but I don't want to speak for every single novel, there are plenty of 
let's just call them like interstitial action lines. So if you have a character that reaches, opens the cupboard door, reaches into the cupboard, grabs a teacup and puts it on the counter, there's only so much floral prose you can put around that. He opened the cabinet, got the teacup and placed it on the counter. That's a, that's a pretty decent sentence. It does its job. You know, not every sentence in a novel, you know, unless you're Toni Morrison or John Banville, um, needs to do any kind of heavy lifting. But the kind of people that read Toni Morrison and John Banville are looking for that. That's not what I'm going yeah. for. So that old cupboard creaked as it opened. Exactly, exactly. You know, shit like that. Because that can get exhausting. It can, it gets exhausting if you don't have that, you know, if, if you just want to play that game. So what I did was I did my version of a political poll. And this is my own device. I've never heard of anybody else doing it. Is that I took, I'm not going to name them, but I took five authors whose books I respect and in many ways who I am aspiring to. And this is sort of a variant of a musical thing that we were taught a long time ago, which is where, where you're, when you're making a record, take breaks in between your record and listen to the records that you are trying to copy and aim high. If you're trying to sound like James Brown, put on James Brown in the middle. Like that's who you want to be. So you might as well aim high. Don't, don't settle. So what I did was I took, I decided I was going to take five authors and I was going to take 20 samples of their writing. And so what I did was I picked a random page of the novel to start on. And then I said, I will skip 10 pages. And then I will look for, let's say, you know, the eighth sentence on the page that is description that has nothing to do with dialogue. And so what I did was I opened all of those books, I pulled out all those sentences, and I entered them in a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets, which I don't know if I've I've mentioned before, but man, spreadsheets are, are just my jam. I entered all 100 lines in a spreadsheet. Then what I did was I pulled out my novel and did a similar randomization, right? I just said, okay, here I'm going to pull here, you know, again, like whatever it is, the fourth, the seventh sentence of pure description or or non-dialogue or, or non-dialogue, non-dialogue modifiers. I just kind of went down and finally made that work. So I then punched all of those things into a spreadsheet and then I did my best to actually grade the sentences and also look at the kind of sentence it is. So I just grade it one to five and I was trying to be honest. And and then what I what you can do is after those 20 lines, you get an aggregate score of everybody. So the goal was obviously not to be the best. There's no way in hell I am the best out of these people. But what I wanted to see was, Keith, can you hang? Like are, you know, and, and it's so hard because it would be the perfect thing would be to do like a double blind, right? Just have no idea who wrote what sentence and maybe hand it to someone. But the problem is the someone's yourself. And I don't I know damn well which sentences I re- I wrote. So anyway, I did all this and I went through the exercise and without getting too much into like the nerdy details, um, I, I turns out that that objectively I'm I am hanging with these people. You know, I'm I'm somewhere in the middle, which is a place that I'm very happy to be because when you get on the high end of the spectrum in terms of like how good every sentence is, you do get Toni Morrison and John Banville and people like that. When you get lower, you you know, there's a certain low score where it's like, yeah, maybe this novel's not very good, but there's also a certain score that like I'm not shooting for. I'm not shooting for a 100. You know, a 100 is it to me is going to exhaust the reader. What I want is some score kind of in the middle. So I was very happy because it was a way of trying to take the 
subjective element out of what I was writing and just take an objective look at it. And again, I, I finished it actually a little bit before the podcast, and I'm pleased to say that I like the two authors I am between in my in my little six-author comparison with me being one of them. I still have plenty of work to do, and even, even more interesting is when I pulled some of my sentences out of context, I was like, dude, I want to edit this sentence right now but I can't, you know, this is an exercise. I was like, I I could just, I could edit this and I could make it a three instead of a two, but no, 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 Keith, it's a fucking two, you know, put it in the spreadsheet and understand that it's a two. So there's still work to do, but I'm pleased with the fact that I was able to step back, take what I think is as objective a look as I can take. And, uh, and, and turns out that I'm, I'm competitive in my brain, which is, which was nice to see. That's awesome, man. That's, that's great to hear. Um, I'm wondering if, if there's other exercises, like something similar that I could do as an artist, but, but honestly, it's just me being objective with my own work. Um, and because art is subjective. So it's like, as long as the skill that I'm putting forth is, it's like all of the tricks and all of the rules, quote unquote, that I've learned about art and comic art over the years, as long as I'm implementing those things. I think that's the best I can do. Um, and I brought this up uh, on the a couple of weeks ago about Joe Matarera using silhouettes mm-hmm. and how, how I knew years ago that he used a silhouette per page. And I never implemented that for whatever reason. Because it's not a hard and fast rule that one does in a comic. You don't have to do that. But it's a nice little trick. And a silhouette is very powerful. And I've been implementing that more and more and I do find it to be refreshing. It's like, oh, I can give myself a break, but use a different art muscle. And honestly, it breaks up the page so nicely. It's just like, whoa, that's, hey, that's just such a contrast from everything else going on the page. And 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 really, as an artist, that's what you want to do with your pages. You want to have a nice contrast of different things going on in your page. Like um, one of the earliest critiques that I've got was move your camera around more. You know, mm-hmm. do a, you know, you have a lot of mid straight on shots, too many mid straight on shots. And so now I can't unsee it. You know, when I look at page, it's like that has a lot of mid straight on shots because it's something I said, hey, OK, this is a major problem. Let me correct it. Now it's like it's all these other little things. It's like, OK, I took care of the majority of the issues, but how can I tighten this up even more? And it's yeah. by implementing things like silhouettes and and, and, and so on. So. Um, makes sense. yeah that's, that's very cool that you're uh hanging with your uh you know your hanging hanging with my aspiration yeah my aspirational novelist exactly yeah. and i think you know like mm-hmm. look the data nerd in me is saying that somewhere inside of that if you really wanted to go for it it's there you could you could just decide i want to look at all of my panels in this issue and i want to uh make you know you, you can make a spreadsheet if you wanted and you could say where's the camera right Simple as that. And then take a look at where the camera is. And then you could take J. Scott Campbell and you could take Simone DeMeo and you could take, you know, your your favorite artists. Okay, where's their camera? Right. And at least compare yourself to that on um, on a, you know, comparative basis. So there's there's always a way to do that. And, you know, you've internalized all that. But I also think that there are times when as as a person who likes to create stuff, there's there's a part in every musical production where I'm driving myself crazy 
and I'm and I always use the phrase I'm too close. I'm just too close. Everything every time I listen to this song I think it sucks. You know, and and that's sort of where I was with the novel. It was just you know, three, four days ago, I was just in this place where I'm like, I'm tired of looking at this, man. I, I, I think it sucks. I'm tired of looking at it, you know? So I was happy that at least I was able to take a breath of fresh air and again, take an objective view. So yeah, man. That, and that's really cool that there's an art application to it as well. And, and it makes sense no matter what you're doing, whether you're writing, whether you're drawing, making music, writing poetry, beatboxing, whatever it is, there's always a way to to try to take that objective thing and ask, you know, can you hang with the people that you're aspiring to? Um, so that was a long second thing for me, I think. But uh, what about you, man? Did you have anything else? Uh, yeah, they're super fast. So I finished uh, two pages in the last couple of days. Um, to This one that I completed today, I actually finished it before the pod, and I'm already halfway done flatting it. Um, it's a splash page but it's one with a lot of tech on it and at a kind of like it's like at a dutch angle but it's like a, a high yeah yeah it's it's a bit of a dutch angle so those two things together um were a bit tough but i figured it out and i have four pages left of this issue so i'm pretty psyched about that i'm moving pretty quickly and um i told myself that i want to have this completed by the end of May. So with four pages at the time when I made that declaration, I had five pages left. And so I'm like, okay, it was basically a page and a panel a week that I have to complete this. Mm -hmm. So since, since that declaration, I've banged out a page. So now I have four weeks. Yeah. Four weeks to finish four pages. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and that actually tail, uh, dovetails nicely into something I talked about previously, which was a panel a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of my buddies from the Accidental Aliens Death, I've mentioned him quite a few times on the pod. He's the guy that I'm racing against. And uh, he was listening to uh, the other week's episode, two weeks by the time of this air. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, a lot of the tips that you've given on the podcast, the one thing that I'll take away is panel a day. And he goes, I'm going to implement that on my next book. And I said, why wouldn't you implement that on this book? And he goes, because I want to do more than a panel a day. And I said, Death, the one panel is a minimum requirement. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're not forced to only do one panel a day. The panel a day is to make sure you're staying on task. Yeah. Your job is to do one panel a day. You can work harder than everyone else and do more than one panel a day. But when you clock out, you better have gotten that one done. So that was yeah. just something I wanted to clarify. It's like, you know... When I say that, you're going to have 68 pages at the end of the year. But if you do more than one panel a day, you're going to have 75, 100, whatever whatever your max is, max out. But at the bare minimum, you'll have 65. Okay. Um, and then one other thing that he had mentioned uh, dur- during that conversation, he said that he, he uh, talked to a famous artist and the artist, he asked the artist, how many pages or how many pages do you have to do or what do you have to do per day to be a comic book artist? He goes, you have to do one page a day. And he said, ever since he heard that, that's always been in his head. He said, I can do a page a day. So I won't start on that page until I could do the whole thing. It's like, well, I have too much stuff to do. So I know I'll just do it another day because I don't have the whole day to do the page. And I, and, and that's, 
unfortunately that's backwards thinking when it comes to comics it's yeah. like you can't you can't finish a race until you start running yep. you can't you you can't put it off like uh the comparison that i gave them it's like you're in school your gym teacher tells you you have one hour to complete the mile and you say well i can complete the mile in eight minutes so i'm gonna go dick around i'm gonna go to the cafeteria i'm gonna go do something else i'll be back in 52 minutes mm -hmm. before you know it, you get caught up talking to someone on your way back you get you get to the field and you have four minutes left so now you can't complete the mile yeah. it's like if you would have just Floyd done Bannister it right away come. or at least yeah. started you would have finished with more than enough time now you find yourself behind the eight ball yes i think that's important because we are here in the indie world we all have day jobs professionals can afford to do one page a day. We are not there yet. You know, all of us in, 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 as far as I know, we're professionals at something else. This is something we like doing and we like to be professional at what we're doing. And yes, if you want to stretch the definition, we're professionals. We get paid for what we do, but it is not our primary source of income. I, I think that when you set yourself a goal of a page a day, all you're going to do is let yourself down. Because you probably have other stuff on your plate. You're not working for Marvel. You're not getting paid for this, you know? Or even if you're an indie artist, you know you don't have that big payday thanks to Image or Dark Horse or, or whoever, right? That That's, that's going to happen at the end when your book actually gets solicited. So, yeah, man, I'm with you. I, I think that a realistic goal, a minimum goal, is a good way to go. There's a writing equivalent to that. The writing equivalent to that is two pages a day. Right. That's something that my novel teacher instilled in me and it works. You know, now now that I'm in editing, you don't think in two pages a day. What I do is my personal goal is one hour of dedicated editing. Anything more than that, if I'm in the flow and I want to keep editing, roll with it. But it's a minimum of one hour editing every single day. And much like you said, 68 pages is a fuck ton of pages for an indie comic person. You know, that is basically three plus issues of comics. Same with, with writing. If you're writing prose, if you do two pages a day, you have 300 pages in five months. Now, that's more of like a first draft, you know, kind of rule because then the editing comes and, you know, the editing is, is you know, novels are 95% editing in a lot of cases. But it gives you a good idea on how you can get stuff done if you just dedicate a little time every day. Because one page a day, any you know, like that's almost too easy, and three pages a day, almost too hard. So yeah, one panel a day, that's winning right there, you know. And and it doesn't seem yeah. like much, but it adds up to much. And and I think that's important because all of us in the I think in the indie game are looking aspirationally to try to you know, step up and maybe be a full-time person at this someday, depending on how it works. I mean, you know, maybe not, maybe most people want to do it on the side. I don't know, but I think that's always the dream in the back of your head, you know, and, uh, and you can worry about addressing that dream when the money follows it. But for now, just knock a little bit out every day and go from there. Yeah. And, and not to mention a, a page a day as an artist is a daunting task. It's just, it's a lot. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. and especially if you, uh, you know, have a full-time career or just a job, whatever, you have a family, you know, you have a significant other and you have kids. If you have all of those things, 
it's going to be harder and harder for you to put together a full page per day. So, you know, get get yep. done what you can get done per day. You know what I mean? And and be happy exactly. with that. And uh, like like you said with writing, you know, the eight, the goal is two pages. If you could get out four because you're in the groove or you can get out six because you're in the groove, stay in yep. the groove, man. That's that's what yep. you want. And that's um what I do with pages. It's like, all right, um, you know, I want to I want to knock out this panel before the night's over. And before I know it, it's three in the morning because I was in a groove and yep. I'm like, I'm I'm 30 minutes from finishing this page. Guess what? I'm staying up to finish this page because the groove isn't always there for you. So when it is, yep. you take advantage Totally, totally. There, there, and on on the writing equivalent of that, there are days where I just keep. There are days where I would continually look at my word count for the day. I'd write a little bit, and I'd be like, "Fuck, it's only three twenty-five." Then I'd write a little bit more. Like, what's my word count for the day? Three eighty. I'm like, shit. I got to keep going, you know. And then what's the what's the the goal? Is it four hundred? Five. Sorry, five hundred words. I should have mentioned five hundred is the goal. Roughly 250 words are on a page. I should have mentioned that before. So thanks for for asking that. So there are days where you're cranking on and before you know it, you wrote four pages. My personal record is 15 because some days you're just rolling, you know, and uh, that's how it goes sometimes. But you, you know to ride that when you're going because some days you're lucky to get the five, you know, you're lucky to get the two pages and you go from there. So anyway, um, so I think we're, we're ready to go into the second part here. And I got to say, I'm pretty excited because I, I like high variance things. And this is a high variance thing. You told me a couple days ago that you had something you wanted to talk about here, kind of as our part two. And I have no idea what it is. You did not give me a chance to prepare. So I'm going to be rhyming off the dome. And uh, yeah, man. And, and I, I'm I'm excited because this could be the best podcast we've ever done. It, it could be just absolute dog shit. So I I, I really <laughs> yeah. I really like it, this. It's yeah, it's tough because the question the question stems from a conversation that was held in the accidental alien group chat, and so we're all contemporaries of each other. We're all basically on the same level. We're all indie people, and um, I love everyone in the chat. Let me just say that right now. But um, we had a lot of, not a lot, we had conflicting views on, it's so tough because it's just like, uh, it it gets into kind of a shitty, a shitty area because it's the way you view things. And so, and, and, and it's the difference between what is reality and what is uh, aspirational. So let me ask you, if you were at a comic convention and you went up to a table and you met someone, you met an artist and or a creator, let's just say creator, and they're really cool, you enjoyed talking to them, they had a single issue there, not a variance, just standard number one, 20-page comic, maybe four pages of back matter, two pages, something like that, what is the most you would pay for that comic? You're making me go first. You're because you you know, because I know the answer to this because I was part of the conversation. So it's it's mainly it's mainly me going going to be asking you questions okay. about this subject matter. Okay, but I'll I'll also chime in on yeah. how I feel about it, obviously. But I want to get a good feel <laughs> of of you and your answer because yeah. I okay. don't want to 
I don't want to color your answers at all. Yes. That's okay. the thing. I want okay. to present this as flat as possible. Yeah, you are you are giving me a strange flashback. I interviewed for a job one time. And the person who interviewed me was like, I don't know, a director, you know, because I, I work in corporate America and uh, in, in during the day. And, uh, and and the person would ask me questions. And then when I gave answers, he would go like, absolutely right. Or he would say wrong. Like, I have never had a human being <laughs> tell me I was either right or wrong based on the answer. It tripped me out. So, I mean, I did get the job. So so it's good. Even though I had a few, quote, wrong answers. Uh, it was pretty funny. But, uh, and there is no wrong answer for this, yeah, by the way. Yeah. This is all just your personal preference on what you're willing to pay and your feelings on it. I've already asked three other people about this who was not in the conversation sure. because I wanted to know how far off I was and uh you know so but, I'm I'm going to okay. give I'm going to give a three-pronged answer here. You're saying that I'm okay. talking to the person and I like them, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So in in a vacuum, what I would say is it, so we had this we had a version of this conversation where we talked about I actually laid out the price and to me anything more than $5 for a comic is going to be pushing it for me. That said, if I really like the person and it's a good comic, I would probably go as high as 8 before I would start to blanch. That said, so there's what Keith says and there's what Keith does. There was one time where I was talking to someone at a convention and it's someone like I like and they had promoted this comic leading up to the convention and I was really excited to get the comic. I, I picked up the comic. I'm like, oh, hey, and, and this was me being stupid. I kind of went in like head first, like, hey, man, right about your comic. I'm really excited to get it. You know, like, let me just go ahead and grab this. And he said, OK, that'll be fifteen dollars. Now, I ended up paying it, but you know what? Fuck it. That's bullshit. <laughs> and I'm saying that. And, and like, I, I've hated myself. Some part of my fiber of my being has hated myself ever since. And I almost feel like I need to justify that absolutely insane purchase. There, there's this phrase that I use called a stupid tax, right? So let's say I go on the road and I'm there at an athletic competition with my kid and I forget my goddamn razor. Right. And so one of my common things is, well, time for me to pay a five dollar stupid tax. Right. Because I now got to go to fucking Target and I got to buy myself like a disposable razor for five bucks. So I I'm over it. Don't get me wrong. This was a long time ago, but uh, I hope that that gave an answer. So I think I would go as high as eight, but I have to really like the person that said, I do want to come clean and say I paid way more than that, but that was partly my mistake because I just bull rushed on in and I did want the comic and I, and I, I still don't mind having it in my collection, but now every time I look at that fucking thing, I just think like, this is $15. I paid $15 for this fucking thing. So anyway, anyway, okay, go ahead. Shoot. Yeah. That for sure answers the question. Um, and, and it's, it's something we've touched upon briefly in our talks about Kickstarters was how much does one charge for a single issue comic? How does one, how much one charge for a trade paperback, etc.? So this, this for sure touches base on it because the subject got brought on because um, one of the aliens saw a Kickstarter, put it in the group chat. I checked it out. I had commented that it looked like a light version of one of our artists and um, that the single issue was $15. And barrier for entry, it was too much. $15 for a comic from a creator who I don't know 
and I think the quality is less than than our art, and and I think we're all solid. I think we're all good artists, good up and coming artists, and so I I felt like our art's stronger than it, and I would I would pay that for anyone in our group for sure. I'd pay fifteen bucks because they're number one, they're our friend. Like we're supporting our friends, we're supporting each other, um, so of course I'll pay that. But a stranger whose whose art is isn't up to par with with ours, then I I won't pay it. And so that's how the conversation got started. So fifteen dollars was the number, and that uh, that but that <laughs> but you you already but you already changed a couple assumptions on me. Number one, you said I was talking to a creator and and I liked them. Right. No. Nope. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you how the story got started. Okay. Gotcha. But the, the conversation is exactly the same because okay. one of our creators charges $15 for his book, which is a 20 page story with four pages of uh, back matter. And he's a super cool guy. I like him a lot. So, but his, his argument was it's not an, it's not a lot because of, um, Number one, how much schooling artists go through, uh, artists that are going through like, like this is their job. This is their whole career, right? Is paying their bills because of art. Roll through that. Let me let me keep going with that. So the comparison was, an engineer goes to goes to college for a degree. He gets the degree. He makes starting out the gate sixty five seventy five thousand per year because of his schooling. So how come artists can't make that much? And my answer to him is, I 100% agree that artists should be able to, but please show me the person that's actually doing that. Like, show me the artist that's coming out of the gate as an indie creator, indie creator specifically, and who is making 75000 on purely comic books. No side hustles. Not, not majority of their money's coming from teaching, selling prints, doing access work here and there. Like just comic books. So they're leaving out a key component here. Let me amend my story a little bit. If that person charges 15 again, I'm probably going to tell them I ought to slap the shit out of you with this comic (laughs) for charging me $15. You know, so like that was definitely a fool me once, shame on me kind of thing. And you could get that from my tone. So if someone is repeatedly charging $15, I mean, the thing, see, here's the thing everybody's leaving out. The market price. That's great that you want to charge $15 for a comic. Small problem. The best professionals in the business make a comic that I can buy at my shop for four. For four. So, and guess what? They got all the schooling you do. They probably got more experience too. So, you know, that that's all well and good that you want to measure yourself with them. But if we're talking about the market rate, the market rate, whatever, you know, and, and we're comparing it to like, you know, I don't think it's fair necessarily, uh, necessarily to compare it to whatever the vocation you were referring to was like a tech school or something like that, because the reason they are making 65 to 70 K coming out of school is not because of their hard work. It's because that is what the market rate for that job is. Teachers work real hard and the market rate for a teacher is not that when they come out of school they get paid dick yep they get paid nothing exactly exactly shouts shouts to teachers man teachers do such a great job and if if anyone in this world is underpaid it's teachers yeah yeah but again this you know this this is just the way the market sets itself man you know like that's that's, that's... the price and and i didn't i didn't make the price and neither did you but 
the the price is four dollars for goddamn any comic that that is a 22 page four color book and that is all the biggest publishers out there so yeah can you can you soup that up just a little bit if you want of course are you going to get that from some people especially at a convention for like your hard-earned hard created comic of course you are just just be mindful you've used a lot of the comparisons that i did um and and the four dollar marker um you know is definitely one of my sticking points um it was like look jim lee daniel warren johnson sean murphy their comic books cost four dollars they they went to school they they've put the miles in they're way better than all of us combined and they charge $4. So for me, it's like, okay, so when we do these Kickstarters, right? We, when you do a Kickstarter, you get to do a little bit of a bump up. And you're, you're doing that because for one, you need to pay for the whole print run. And people that back Kickstarters, it's, it's a couple of reasons. One, they probably like you already. They're either friends, family, someone who knows your work. So they're willing to pay a little bit more to help you put your product out. Mm-hmm. That's that's a given when it comes to Kickstarter. So with that said, if anybody in my studio or any of my friends do a Kickstarter and they're charging $15 for a single issue, I'm gonna pay it. I'm gonna look a little sideways at them because 15 is quite a bit, but I'll still do it gladly because they are my friend, right? But a stranger, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's like, I, I can justify... I can justify um, charging $10 shipped for a $4 cover price comic because it's a $2 markup if you saw me at a convention, right? Like Mm -hmm. including shipping. So it's just like, okay, that's a couple of bucks markup. It's not a big deal. But I can't have it be four times the cover price. Like like I had a friend and I, you know, honestly, the first time I thought about this was one of my friends, she backed one of my Kickstarters. And she saw the she saw the cover price, and she said, "Hey, I paid ten dollars for that. That's only three dollars." So she was kind of upset over that, and she was just supporting me. Like she saw it was mm-hmm. my very first Kickstarter, and um, so I felt bad about it. I was like, "Oh crap!" You know, like I didn't even really think about it. It's not something that even entered my mind. Mm-hmm. So for the person that's just trying to help you out because they like you, you're. You can't do it to the point where you're taking advantage of their goodwill. Yeah. At least I, at least I can't. Yeah. Like, it's not in me to say, you know, you got to pay, you know, three times what a stranger's going to pay me at a show. Like, it's yeah. just, it's not something I, I can do. But to, you know, if you charge that at a show for your book, more power, more power to you. The issue is you're going to get less of an audience reading your story. So what's more important to you? Like, like you said, the market value for a single 20 to 24 page comic is about $4 indies. And it's always been the case on indie. You can mark it up a couple of bucks because people who buy indie comics, they know your small time. They're there looking for something different than uh, third party, the big two corporate Mm -hmm. comics. They're looking for something different. So they are willing to pay, you know, Superman's three bucks. I'll give you $5 for yours because you're an Mm -hmm. indie guy. So that that's the usual markup. Um, so so I can justify that and I can feel okay about that. But anymore, I I just feel like I'm taking advantage. But but on top of it, what's the goal? The goal for me is for as many people to read my story as possible. So 
at $15, it, I'm going to get some people back in the book and some people cool with paying that, but it's not going to get the reach that I want it to get. You know, it's like, I want everyone to be able to pick this book up. Like the random kid that's walking through a comic convention and he's got X amount of dollars because that's what he's saved up. He doesn't have a lot of an allowance. I'm not going to charge him $15 for a single comic book because he can't afford it. Yeah. 15 bucks, he can buy four or five comic books. So it's just like, okay, you know, I want to make sure my books are affordable for everyone. Yeah. Not just, uh, you know, a, a dual income family you know, uh, someone that has just a higher paying job that can afford that type of thing. You know, it's just like everyone should be able to afford your comic at a reasonable rate. Yeah. And, and I would, I would further that kind of on the economic side in that be careful what you wish for with these things, you know? So again, let's, let's go back to my $15 comic. Would you like to guess how many items of any sort I have bought from that person since? Zero. 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 Right. So congratulations. You got my $15 there. You're not getting another dime. Like you've, you've burned that bridge. I, I, I feel silly for the fact that I did that. So, you know, and, and it's a common sales thing, you know, that like, I mean, not, not to geek out on it, Scott, but like, I want, I want people to like Kadoja forever, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't, I don't want you to like this issue. I don't want you to buy this issue. I want you to keep reading it. I'm incented to keep you reading it. And, and it's, it, you know, right. there are, there are a lot of things that go into people making the choice with their hard earned money to support your comic or to, or to, I, I hate saying support. So like to, to buy your comic, you burn that goodwill when you do things like overcharge. And again, you might get it now, but I feel like you're just hurting your future self every time you do something like that. So there's, there's, I'm sure there's no right and wrong answer here, but I can tell you, man, I come down really hard on the side of $4 for a comic, mainly because that's, you know, that's what I charge and that's what the market price is because the big publishers are setting that market price. If the big publishers all move to five, I would consider five, you know, but, but they haven't. And I think there's a reason for that. You know, I think there's a there's a psychology to four dollars. You give somebody a five dollar bill and you get one back. That's pretty awesome. You know, so yeah, again, it, it's it's all about future consideration too. You don't wanna you don't wanna milk your current cow and then have nobody come back for, for you know the, the future things that you do. Yeah, and the rest of the milk spoils. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then you're sitting around like, Hey, I got my fifteen dollar jars of milk. Yeah. How about it? <laughs> you know, another another thing about burning bridges is um, uh, it, it's one of my policies. It's obviously not a hard and fast rule with a lot of people, but for me it is. If I pay for a Kickstarter book and I get it in the mail damaged and it's like, and it was because of the shipping that they did, like they just put it in a bubble wrap envelope mm -hmm. or a regular, regular envelope with no cardboard or anything, or they stuck a comic book which is a normal comic book backboard in in a normal manila envelope, mm -hmm. I'm never backing another one of your projects. It's never happening because we're, we're selling comic books here. It's like the majority of the people that read comic books know that they're collectible items. Yeah. So why would you send a collectible item through the mail unprotected? Why on earth would you do that? Especially 
when we're charging premium prices for these comic books on Kickstarter. Like I said, we're paying the markup because we want these projects to succeed. Mm -hmm. So if they're showing up in the mail damaged because of your piss poor shipping, that's your fault because we paid you enough money to pay for good shipping, good protected shipping. It's like buy those Gemini containers or cut fucking cardboard. If you're still, hey, guess what? If you're doing this whole project you make five grand or less or something like that, but you have to pay all these people for parts of the project. So you're really not making that that much money. You're kind of paying yourself. You got to cut corners. You got to cut cardboard yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm a-okay with it because you know what? I do it myself. It's like, I'll cut cardboard up. I, hey, if I got an extra half hour, I'll, I'll grab a, a stack of boxes. I'll cut them up to the exact size uh, to fit inside a giant size manila envelope that has two to three inches on each side so even if the corners get bent guess what your comic book's not getting bent it's taped directly to the middle it's completely protected so if you got to cut corners cut corners but don't send me a comic book in the mail unprotected because there's been famous creators that i've i've backed their kickstarters and it's come in in something like that and i said never again you're done i paid 15 bucks to get that shipped to me safely and and it got got to me it's like a piece of crap so you're done yeah no more yep makes sense makes sense man uh was there anything more to that i mean that that feels like we've covered the full gamut of that argument is there more no it's essentially you know it was essentially that it was like what are you willing to to pay at the most for a standard you know 20 page story of a comic book you know standard cover nothing special so your answer was eight um i've had one guy say six I've had one guy say 15, but to to put it in perspective, he has a very high paying job. He's a lawyer, but he also stipulated that it has to be the best art he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. and, and that's what he's willing to pay. But it's like you have to be the best fucking person ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you, you know, you better like, you. Yeah, you you need to be that thing. That I'm that I can't live without, basically, for a price like that. And even for me, yeah, I think exactly. I think eight eight might be that in general. So you know, again, it, it's it's where it gets to friends versus strangers. You know, friend, I, I can't, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine paying eight dollars to a stranger for a comic book. I'd have a hard time no. paying anything over five. But um, shit, we paid uh, we paid eight bucks for Ultra Ultra Mega or Mega Ultra. You know, and that's and that's a like a triple sized comic book and some of the baddest art around. It's like exactly you can't you can't be charging more than that guy. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's you know, look, music is no different, right? You can you can you can make the coolest limited edition record or limited edition cassette. But I'm telling you what the market price is, dude. You know, I mean, if, if that record's anything more than like I mean, if it's the if it's fancy, if it's fancy, like sweet double gate fold 180 gram vinyl then that's going to be up in the 25 to 26 range but that doesn't give you the right to charge 60 for it you know like uh, but again, right but but you also said something different you said limited edition yeah i'm talking standard comic yeah book. oh good limited point. edition's different yeah. you know um uh, that was part of a conversation that was had during all of that the, another one of our creators was he's about to launch a kickstarter and he was asking, he's like, Hey, I've never even thought about this. I'm about to launch one. What's, what's a normal rate you would charge for a single, a a variant and an exclusive. And so I laid him out. I said, look, this is what I do. And, and, you know, I charge 
I charge six and three bucks for a standard. So that's $5 cover price, $1 for a digital, $3 for shipping, mm -hmm. nine bucks out the door. It's to you. Yeah. You know, if you, if you want to do the Kickstarter exclusive, I'm, I've been adjusting that for the last two Kickstarters and the third Kickstarter, it's going to be adjusted even more. Like one, the mm -hmm. two Kickstarters ago, I charged 20 for a Kickstarter exclusive. That was too much. And I didn't even realize that was way too much until the next one. So the next one I did 17, that was still mm -hmm. too much. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? This is like the this is like the one in ten variant. You don't charge twenty bucks for the one in ten variant. You charge twenty bucks for the one in thirty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like there's a there. It's, it, so it's just like you know, probably twelve bucks. Twelve bucks for a Kickstarter exclusive, three dollars shipping. Fifteen bucks for an exclusive. You will only get this on Kickstarter. Yep, yep. And look, if it kicks ass, then price you know becomes less of an issue. You know it. If if it just kicks ass and you're like, man, I I can't see myself not having that, then it's a different story. But uh, but anyway, all right, cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think that's gonna wrap it up for the episode. So, uh, where can they find you online? Yeah, on the social medias, I am at Keith underscore Decibel on Instagram, and also uh, Kadoja Kaiju, one word on Instagram. Keith Decibel is just me doing stuff i guess um you know i'm, I'm disappointed because i went to color me mine over the weekend with my family to relax and i forgot to put that on my instagram story so maybe i'll put that on i mean i still have the photos but uh we just we just detoxed and painted some pottery and shit and i found it actually pretty relaxing i actually made myself a mug that um has awesome. like a stone slate thing and it just says death metal so i'm pretty excited for that i i think it might turn out all shitty because my nice. writing sucks, but, uh, you know, anyway, I, I might throw up some pictures on that just so it's around by the time that this episode comes out. But then Kadoja Kaiju is where I'm posting all things Giant Monster and all things Kadoja. How about you? And you could find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. That's S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. I post everything. I don't have other ones. It's just those. I'm too lazy to have extra <laughs> Instagrams and stuff like that. Um, so I put everything. I put my art. I put my food. I put my dog. You'll see all those things. Nice. For websites, KeithRFoster.com is basically it. Because if I write something for iHorror.com, I'm going to put a link through KeithRFoster.com anyway. And uh, I'm looking to update the Kadoja stuff because I think um, I'm really in the mood to really soup up and have a lot more information there on Kadoja. So look for that in the coming weeks as well. The Kadoja page on KeithRFoster.com. And you can find my books, Wanders of Melisanda and The Second Shift on AccidentalAliens.com. Uh, you can purchase issues uh, one through nine of The Second Shift up there. And then Wanders of Melisanda one and two are up there. And each issue has a synopsis as to what's going on in that issue. Second Shift is a tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night. Wanders of Melisanda, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. Words, Scott. And uh, you can also get a hold of us on makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, something we've talked about, we gave some misinformation. You heard something we said and we said something wrong. If you want to talk to Keith about Joel Embiid and, uh, you know, the, the Sixers zone defense, shoot us an email yes. over there. And uh, we'll be glad to talk about that on the air. Yes, please. Please ask me questions about that. Well, ask me right now because they're winning right now. No, I don't want to talk about basketball. No. 
<laughs> no, we, we're not talking actually, about basketball. No, the, the, great, the, great, the great news is, the great news is, all the people that were tired of us with basketball signed off two episodes ago because they, they made promises to themselves. They were just like, these motherfuckers are talking about basketball again. I can't believe the nerve. <laughs> so anyway. The Lakers are making me not want to talk basketball. Oh, yeah, they that's a good point. hot yeah, garbage you, right now. So. You, don't, you don't have a yeah, whole lot yeah. of... Uh, incentive to talk hoops right now all right so there's no way i haven't queued up the music by now so uh it's a lot to talk about hey for this episode can you can you do the music and then let us start can you do it separate because i like hearing the music like before the episode starts oh you actually don't like jumping on in i don't like it i don't like it because i I like the i like the entrance music and it's like it's 10 10 seconds who gives a shit yeah, so, I, generally, like, I generally do 25 uh, seconds. I, well, I try to do 30 okay. I, because I anybody who doesn't yeah. like it... All right, fuck. Yeah, it's it's in. You got it. And well, see, we're and in the post credit sequence, guys. We're in, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we... I, I'm gonna, 30's I'm gonna, perfect I'm gonna anyway. This. Yeah, thirty's good because no. anybody who doesn't want to hear the music... 30's okay. perfect. Yeah, that was, that was a conscious decision. Yeah, because there's decision. a 30, 30 second, 30 second button. Yeah, man, I love the music. And that's how much I love it. I'm like, what is it, five seconds, 10 seconds? You're like, no, that's 25 seconds. And I'm like... I didn't even notice. Like, that's how much I like the music. So, yeah, separate's good. 